Alright everyone, thanks for tuning in for another episode of How We Get By. Super excited this week. I went out on a limb and I just started following different people on Instagram from all over the world who are advocating for um, for people with me- that have mental health struggles, who have been very candid about their experiences, and I was fortunate enough to, by some stroke of luck from the great universe, come across James, and uh, James is... His profile just really caught my attention because he uses uh, photography to, what I feel like, explain his emotions in a way. Uh, He'll talk to his projects in his own terms uh, during the interview, but that's what drew me to his profile, and I reached out to him, not even knowing where he was from, uh, and asked him if he would like to be on the show. He said he would check out a few episodes. He did, and then decided that he would like to be on the show, so uh, about a week or two ago, he and I sat down for a chat, and we were able to discuss so many different things. Uh, It was really cool for me. I wanted to hear about how the UK handles mental health. Uh, Obviously, with everything happening in the world, we we had some things to catch up on and see how each of our countries are doing. This is so amazing. Uh, So I'm really grateful for James and his willingness to speak with an entire stranger on the other side of the world uh, about his mental health journey. I think it's something that so many people can relate to. It inspired me so very much because I felt like he was describing things that I know um, I go through or a friend goes through and it makes you realize that we, our world is so much more interconnected than we've ever realized. Uh, one of the greatest things about 2020, and I know that there's a lot we can complain about, but one of the greatest things about 2020 is that we have the ability to have these conversations across the globe. Um, that's really amazing. I think that we should be taking advantage of this opportunity, and I think a lot of people are. I often think the Me Too movement really was, obviously that was a hashtag, so created on social media, but I often think, especially with you know people like Epstein, and you never before in history has a woman on this side of the world been able to say like, hey, that bad thing happened to me, and then somebody on the other side of the world can read that and be like, whoa, that same bad thing happened to me too. I mean, that's the whole movement, but that is something that I think we should find to be very inspiring. And while this episode is not about me too, uh, I, we may talk about it, but it's just, I really hope that you can see how really we are just all trying our best to get by no matter what country we live in. So... This is how we get by. Um, I so appreciate you being able to do this. No, it's no problem. I'm happy to. Great. So I'm Monica. Uh, so nice to meet you, James, through Skype. We've been talking for the last few weeks, but um, it's really, really nice, like I said, to connect with you. Uh, I guess for my listeners, just to let them know, and let me just get my backup recording going. Um just for my listeners, I, I went out on a whim and I just started kind of looking on Instagram to see different people who were posting things about mental health and if I would be able to connect with one uh, randomly because I just think for us to be able to have this conversation is something that 20 years ago we weren't even able to do. So it's cool uh, in 2020, one of the good things about the internet is that we're able to collab like this. Uh, so I'm really grateful. And I'm from Scranton. Um, I actually suffer from, I shouldn't say suffer, but I have PTSD. 
um, and anxiety, depression, like everything that comes with it. Sometimes it's like an eating disorder. It's just like basically something triggers me and then that triggers symptoms and I have to treat those and kind of get back on track. Um, I am, I'm a banker by day, podcaster by night, and I just kind of live at home. And right now, I mean, we're all dealing with the COVID thing. So it's probably, we have some similarities in some ways to that. Um, but do you want to tell me a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, sure. So I'm from Norwich in England, uh, mid forties. I've been suffering for, or I was diagnosed with clinical depression in my late 20s, although this was off the back of a long period of um, already experiencing um, symptoms. Um, it's it's a genetic thing, we think, uh, on my mother's side. Um, so you had a history of uh, clinical depression in my, in my family. Um, so it's something I've been dealing with now for about 20 years, sometimes on medication, sometimes not. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm currently being medicated uh, with sertraline, which is for anxiety. That's what I think the, too, yeah. Yeah, because um, for the last, I suppose, eight years or so, the depression has started manifesting itself in new ways, and one of those being quite crippling anxiety attacks. So that's, um, yeah, last year I had quite a lot of time off work because of my anxiety. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's kind of where I am at the moment. OK, well, thank you for being so honest about that. Um, before we get into your personal stuff, I off the bat am wondering how does what is it like in the UK with mental health? Like, is everybody kind of open about it? Like, where's the discussion? It's it's getting a lot more open. Um, I've certainly I mean, I've blogged for a long time about it. I've always been very open about my condition. I like talking about myself, which is one of the things, but also because it's, um, I feel it's a valuable thing if people who don't feel they can talk about it see other people talking about it, then they realise it, it helps sort of unpack the stigma a bit. And we are seeing a lot more of that now, a lot more positive discussion about our mental health. Mental health services in the UK are still very much underfunded. Um, I mean, the NHS as a whole is struggling, but certainly mental health services are one thing that's, uh, that's yeah, woefully underfunded. Um, I have a friend of mine who has bipolar and he goes through um, quite a lot of difficulty at certain times getting them the help he needs because the services are just um, so underfunded that the, the resources aren't there. But again, the, the talking about it is one thing that I think, you know, the more it's on the table for discussion, the, it can only help that situation as well. So, um, so yeah, it, it's, it's, a good, uh, it's a good atmosphere um, for mental health discussion. I mean, one thing I've found since I've been talking about it lots, um, and particularly with blogging about it, is that so many people I know who I didn't realise were experiencing problems then come forward and say, oh, I'm so glad you said that. That's, you know, yes. I, I actually suffer from that myself or I can see that this is perhaps something that affects me. And I think every time you open up even one person to to being able to face what's going on with themselves, it's, it's all worth it. Definitely. And that that's so, that speaks to me because my life, I'm, I'm similar to you in that way. I've always been really outspoken about it. And depending on what group you're in, it's either accepted or it's not. And not that it has ever been like not accepted. It's just a comfort thing. Some people just aren't comfortable with people being outspoken about it. But that's what I always try to tell myself. Like for every person who doesn't understand, there's probably three that even that can't even articulate that they understand. And so it's it's a mental thing that like you, one has to keep in mind because it is hard to speak about your your things. I mean, what you're doing right now is incredibly brave. Like I do this all the time. You don't. And I appreciate you even doing it. So that's cool. I think in the U.S. it's pretty it's similar. Um, I think we definitely have resources, but there is economical uh disparities <laughs> for sure in the united states i'm sure we all the world knows now but um it's like that i did actually talk to someone last week that said you know 
therapy would be a luxury for them. Yeah. Um, you know, so and so I think we're all kind of grappling with that, which is terrible. It shouldn't be a luxury. Um, but I do agree that these conversations are are really helpful. So I appreciate that. And so you're an artist, I believe. Um, you're so you have some kind of art going on on your Instagram. So do you want to explain that a little bit? I love it. Uh, but I wanted to hear your perspective on it. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, it was something that started um, during uh, during lockdown. I've been on furlough for the last four and a half months. Um, I am actually losing my job. Um, I just found out recently as well. Sorry. No, yeah, it's been coming a long while. It it wasn't a shock. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But yeah, one of the things that I've been trying to do to make the most of this time I've had at home is uh, exploring different ways of. expressing myself creatively and the the instagram thing um so basically for the for the benefit of people who have not seen it i um take these photographs of myself um so i'll pick a location or somewhere around the house take two photographs of myself in slightly different positions and then just stitch them together um to make it look like there's two of me in the shop um it's done in quite an amateur fashion you can see the join but i kind of like that rustic look to it and i was just putting them on my own instagram account um just to entertain myself when one of my colleagues at work got in touch with me and said there's actually you know an opportunity here to talk about mental health and the experience of lockdown um, because she knew that i um blogged about this and sort of talked about this openly as well and she said that you know you could divert this into a separate Instagram feed and sort of kind of work on this and use it as a basis for discussion, which I, you know, found very encouraging that people were responding to it in that way. And I could already see that people were entertained to a degree and, you know, they were amusing um, photographs. So, yeah, I, I took her advice. I siphoned them off into a separate um instagram project and yeah it's uh it's just a fledgling thing at the moment but yeah it's just one of the ways that i've i've tried to approach the debate in a different way to try and sort of um perhaps reach out to people who weren't who didn't know me personally who could uh, you know perhaps see something that's going on there is there like a symbolism there to the you know reason why there are two of you in the shot um to a degree, yes. It's not. A, it wasn't a conscious thing from the beginning, certainly. But the the idea of the public persona and the private persona, the fact that people don't see everything that's going on in your life, even the people who know you quite well, perhaps don't see everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, the fact that I can be conflicted a lot. I can have different reactions to things myself. So I'm, in a way, quite often two people. And you know, there will be some. Th- circumstances or situations where something that really sparks an emotional direction in emotional reaction rather in one direction can also you know prompt different feelings as well so I don't know how I react to everything and some things I find horrific and yet can also be funny and and this kind of thing so it's it's about you know there being no clear answers there being no one way to interpret anything really so yeah it was just kind of playing on that idea i love it i love it i'll put a link in my show notes to that but it was really cool but not only do i love the pictures because i think when i found your profile i was just searching for like anxiety hashtags or you know i kind of this is the first time i've done this this is a new experiment for me but it worked out (laughs) and i'm really happy about that but i think i was just clicking through that and i think it was the fact that i saw your profile and there were two of you in there and it was just so different like i never saw anything like that like and it it was like I I wish I could describe the way it felt like it was like jarring almost in a way, which is like an interesting like I didn't even know why. Like I didn't even know why it kind of seemed like jarring. It was just it just caught my attention. And for something to catch your attention that's so authentic is really cool. Um, So it makes me even happier that we're having this conversation. And uh, kudos to your friend, because I think. The reason I have this podcast is because I had a friend who was like, we're going to sit down and do just one episode and see what happens. So, yeah, we all need those people. Yeah, it definitely sometimes takes that 
that per- that other person to kind of look at what you're doing and say, yes, this has got value. There is something here yeah. and something that you were just, you know, thinking of as a hobby or a bit of fun or something to have, you know, people around you who can actually take a more objective stance and a more supportive stance than you're allowed to give yourself. Because I don't know about you, but certainly for myself, part of my mental health issues um, manifests itself in very low self-esteem, very low self-worth. And the idea of doing uh, something like that in any kind of, uh, you know, structured or formal way, I would be put off doing that because I'd think, oh, you know, no one's going to want to see this. No one wants, is going to want to take this seriously. And so having someone to say, actually, no, you have, you know, you've created something interesting here. This is this is worth exploring um, is, is invaluable because it's I'm not in a position where I can make those kind of decisions for myself. Yeah. And look what happened. You know, like someone on the other side of the world is like also felt the same way. So that's really cool. But I feel you because that's constantly the battle I'm fighting. I mean, even just sitting down every interview that I have for this podcast, like I don't know if any of my listeners know that like for the 10, 15 minutes before I'm just like, okay, you can do this. Like you can do this. Like everything's going to be fine. Like, and it's just constantly fighting that. And I think, um, a pivotal point in my mental health journey was when I realized I could fight that. Um, And I think that when you don't have that awareness at first, like I think it takes a while to kind of get you like, okay, I can feel these things, but I can do them anyway. Um, And I, I wanted to ask you, because one of your posts were, was about um, imposter syndrome. And that's something that a few people who have spoken um, on this show have kind of talked about. So, And it ties into this self-esteem, um, our image of ourselves and what we can do versus what other people think we can do. Um, so did you wanna, do you have anything to say about that? Um, yeah, I mean, I, my current job, I'm, I work in a marketing department for um, a theater <laughs> here in Norwich. And now that I'm sort of having to job hunt again, I'm looking around at jobs um, and I'm seeing sort of marketing positions for other companies. And I think to myself, well, I don't really know that much about marketing. I've, I've, I kind of fell into that job from already working at the theatre. This idea that I'm constantly telling myself that, yeah, okay, so that is my job, but I'm not really that okay with it two years now so you know uh, there's no reason why that experience can't mean something but I'm constantly undercutting myself and and um and yeah in my private life as well I mean things like I've always wanted to be a writer um and that's something as well that I've spent a lot of um the last four and a half months kind of exploring but always um had this idea that you know I I couldn't be a proper writer I'm not a proper writer I can't you know I don't I'm not good enough for that and and yeah you know we've all read books where we think I could do better than this this is <laughs> I know right I read one the other day and I was like what come on like I know I get it yeah but yeah it's it's that um constant belief that that you're going to be found out and I think part of part of the problem is I mean my parents uh, my parents generation didn't talk about feeling so much you know they're very reserved um you never kind of saw those inner workings with people of that generation and i think there's a whole generation of people now who are growing up wondering when they're going to start feeling like an adult because they uh, you know they don't feel any different to what they did when they were 17 i certainly don't and but our parents always seem so capable capable and never kind of lifted the veil to let us see their struggles that we're that we're at risk of feeling really sort of low on ourselves because we think well i i don't feel like the way i thought my parents always felt about being an adult and i think that's that's one particular aspect of imposter syndrome that can um affect a you know a whole generation of us because the impression that I get is most people my age are kind of looking at each other thinking, are we not supposed to have got the hang of this by now? You know? Definitely. Wow. I never thought of that. I never thought of that in ties to imposter syndrome. And I've thought about the fact that our, um, it's the same, you know, for us, it's like, we're, I'm, I'm 30 now. And I can say that this year is the first time that I feel like maybe I'm, sort of on my own 
And like, it's like, it, it, I like, I love my parents. I felt like I had a break away for in some kind of way. And I see that with a lot of my friends, like that there's like, there has to be like, now there seems to be like this moment where you're like, okay, now I'm my own person. Um, and to get to that moment is like a struggle. And yeah. like, I feel like when you get to the other side of that moment, you don't know who you are. So I don't know. I, I can't really articulate. I think it's like in the same vein, though, that um, that there is this like phenomenon of like we're just more dependent. And so for, in the U.S., I don't know how it is in the U.K., but we have a huge student loan problem. And so our loans are so high and we're like dependent on our parents financially so much longer um, because we get out of school, the job market's not great. And then we have these lefty loans that we're just, um, they're kind of helping us. So there's just like a lot of blurred lines of like, when do we become an adult? And when we do become an adult, now we're not ready because we don't, I don't know. So maybe that's what you're speaking to. (laughs) My confusion is what you're speaking to. We, we have a, a, a very similar thing over here. The student loan thing, I'm not quite of the generation where I had to experience that. I didn't have to take out student loans, although the grants that I lived on, students the next year didn't get. So I was like the last year of getting oh, grants. Wow. But certainly things like house prices is something that, you know, to get on the housing ladder these days is really difficult for young people. And... Um, and again, it means you have this phenomenon of people living with their parents for so much longer. Um, with things like marriage breakdown, you have people going back to live with their parents. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've done it myself. I was yeah, 28. I had just bought my first flat, but then that relationship crumbled. So I had to go back and live with my parents for a couple of years. And it, all of that kind of feeds into this idea that maybe we're a generation who just really haven't been able to sort of find ourselves or understand ourselves properly and and part of that may be that you know we're one of the first generations possibly to sort of really try to because there was this whole thing beforehand that you know you just you just got on with things you just you know you did your job yeah and and you know and you see the, you watch shows like Mad Men and there's that whole kind of fifties attitude of you know like underlying alcoholism because people are just dealing with their own life in a way that they're not allowed to talk about it and it feels like we're the first generation to actually start asking these questions but the end result or one of the results of this is is a lot of insecurity and low self esteem because we're you know finally facing up to the fact that nobody really knows what they're doing. That's <laughs> yeah. Yep. Wow. That's amazing. So this is like, this is blowing my mind a little bit. I wanted to ask you, cause you did talk about it in one of your posts, um, about your wife and how you guys like, you, like, I don't know if you feel comfortable speaking about it. And if you don't, we can, you know, get rid of this part. But I was just wondering if you did want to speak to that, because for me personally, like I struggle getting into relationships because of my mental health. And I do have that sort of self-esteem issue where I'm like, okay, I don't know if I'll ever find somebody who's going to want to put up with this bullshit. So um, to read your post, that was kind of really helpful to me because I was like, okay, there are people who do have it like somewhat figured out. It might not be beautiful, I'm sure. But like, so did you want to speak to that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I I am extraordinarily lucky. Um, my wife, um, uh, I don't want to say too much about kind of her story, but you know, she has, she has experience of times in her life when things haven't been so great, um, which has made her understanding towards my issues. But she's also a far more practical and pragmatic person than I am. So where I, you know, something goes wrong in my daily life and I just kind of spin out and and don't know what I'm doing. She's the sensible one who will just say, no, calm down. You can do this. Um, Particularly when I'm having anxiety attacks, she's um, very good at being able to talk me down and kind of help me with my breathing, give me the time I need to sort of come back to some level of usefulness. And, And that was a journey for both of us because I didn't, I mean, as I said, I've been with my wife for, let me get this right about 18 years now and these anxiety attacks only started really about sort of eight nine years ago so this is something we've both experienced 
starting something that wasn't there at the beginning of our relationship so that's um yeah that's interesting it's it yeah it was it was difficult for her i'm sure but she approached that in the same kind of methodical pragmatic way that she approaches most things and you know we work really well together and there's a lot of ways that we kind of slot in together so i help her and she helps me and i think the the key to it is you know acknowledging that okay you can ask for help and you can accept help from that other person because that other person will need you at some point and it might feel even at the at the lowest times it might feel that you have nothing to offer them but you just have to remember that okay that might even be true for this moment in time but there will come a time when it will be my opportunity to be their rock and and that's what you and that for me makes it easier to accept that help and easier to rely on her because I, I know that there are times when she's going to rely on me as well. I love that so much. Thank you for sharing that. That was like, I'm like, I'm like, okay, don't cry, Monica. Like, just, just relax here. That's amazing. So, um, so do you feel like, so this doesn't even have to be mental health wise, but I'm just like wondering, like people change over time, right? So you've been with somewhere 18 years. Like, how does that work? Like, can you just speak to that a little bit? Like what, how do you, how do people work that out? I, I'll be honest <laughs> to say, I don't know. It, it, <laughs> it, is, it is odd. But I think when, if you're both changing, as you do over time and you're getting older, you just kind of, if the relationship's going to work, the changes are going to be, you know, mutually compatible. You rub off on each other. So, I mean, for one example, my wife's incredibly, um, I wouldn't say house proud in a bad way, but she's very organized at doing things like housework in a way that I wouldn't be. And if left to my own, I'd, I'd live in a, me toxic too. filth i'm Me sure too. I, I don't want it, you to look around <laughs> but um but you know it's if you're paying attention to you know the other person and what they're saying to you then things just naturally rub off so i'm now a lot better at that sort of thing looking after the house and in a way she's you know a bit more relaxed about it because my attitude's also rubbed off on her so it's kind of meeting in the middle and i think one of the keys to that is just um is acknowledging that you have faults, that you're not perfect. Because I think when couples do struggle is when one person is so intent on holding on to their own identity that they're not letting that other person change them. And I, and maybe this is where my mental health problems help, in fact, because I can't imagine being so convinced that my own, my own personality, my own way of doing things was right enough for me to fight <laughs> yeah. to keep it. I just assume the other person probably has a you know a better handle on that than I do which I think you know it, it know. Has possibly helped so yeah but I get that yeah it's um I mean it's communication is is what it's all about it's yeah. it's always communication and as long as you're being open with each other and open to the possibility that you can be wrong about things then you know usually you can find your way through I think you're so right because in you know relationships that I do have it's funny when they'll point out something that they think is gonna like upset me or like hurt my feelings like I don't know just something I do anxiety wise and I'm like oh you're right I kind of do do that and then they're like wait what like you're not upset and I'm like I've been going to therapy and they've been telling me that I've been doing things like this my whole life I'm well conditioned to know you know but you're right it does come in handy because then that could have been a fight over an ego issue that really we're just two people trying to solve a problem. So absolutely. And I think it's important as well to stress that it's not, um, it's not about being a doormat and it's not about always assuming you're wrong either. I think it's about accepting those possibilities, but trying to be realistic at them. So there are times when I will, you know, I'll look at a situation and think, well, no, actually I, I do think I'm right about this. And because you know, the other person is also receptive to that idea, we can find that middle path. So it's, it's not about being uh, subordinate or anything like that. It's, it's merely about if you accept the possibility that the other person's right and they are prepared to accept that possibility, then between you, you can sort of navigate this difficult channel. And, and that's, uh, that's what I'm lucky enough to have, certainly. 
I love that. That's so cool. Thanks for sharing. So when I reached out to you, you mentioned that there was like an episode that you listened to and there was something that you were like, oh, I feel like I could uh, speak to that. Do you remember? Oh, um, it was, do you know, I have, uh, it was episode 25. I know that as you had the, Is it the one about patriarchy. Yes. And yes, social that's norms. the one. Yeah. Because yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to, I'm sort of a couple of books on feminism on the go at the moment. And this is, this is one of the things that's been very much foremost in my mind this year is, um, a lot of, a lot of where I am mentally at the moment is influenced by what's going on around us and i don't want to get too political because you never want to alienate anyone who might be listening and finding this helpful but we can't get away from the fact there's an awful lot of conflict that may have been simmering under the surface for the last sort of 25 30 years in our society but as definitely same the last four years has definitely come to the fore i mean you've got your you know political situation uh, yeah, we have Black Life Matters, and yeah, yeah, and yeah, you can, yeah it's crazy. And we've got the um, the issue with the UK leaving e- leaving the EU, which has been Brexit. Yeah, we know all about that. You guys also have Henry and uh, Megan; they're over yeah. here. I mean, yeah, there's, uh, <laughs> so there's all these things that. Um, so just a brief little intermission to say I keep calling him Henry, Prince Henry, even when I talk to James. Outside of the podcast, I keep calling him Henry. I just want you to know, James, I know his name is Prince Harry, and I love him, so I don't know why I'm doing it. Okay. That are bringing these sort of tensions that have been simmering right to the surface. And I think one of the, I mean, you were saying about, you know, positive aspects of the internet. I think one of the negative aspects of the internet has been that people have felt empowered to say things that they wouldn't necessarily say in normal life, because if they're saying it through a keyboard, onto a social media platform it's kind of like not or it's not like saying it to a person and so people will be more combative more threatening um and i think the the issue of like the patriarchy and feminism is one of these things where you know post me too that we're you know i'm just a lot more conscious of and so i'm constantly sort of trying to find myself better informed try and be a better ally because i think that um I mean, certainly feminist issues, race issues, all these um, aspects of uh, life. I'm very conscious of the fact that as a white middle class male, I'm extremely lucky. I mean, there's an awful lot, you know, there are things in my life that I could complain about, but they're undoubtedly things that would also be a a lot worse if I was also dealing with um, sexual discrimination or sexual harassment or racial discrimination. And so... I've spent sort of a, a lot of the last sort of two or three years trying to get better informed about these kind of things. And um, yeah, as I say, your your um, episode on the patriarchy was something where I was listening to this and it was uh, it was very kind of informative to, to be hearing your speaker talking about those things. I appreciate that. I think that it's, I mean, in the US, we're just like, I'm going to be honest with you, dude. I don't, I don't know what's going on over here. One of my questions for you, like, I, you know what? Like, the United States, I feel like, can be so egotistical. Like, we know that. Like, it's just like, even for us, like, I just often wonder. I'm like, why Why do, why is it the United States? Like, I, I know, though, there's, like, a lot of immigration. I don't know. So I feel bad even asking this question. But I kind of wanted to ask you, like, how do people feel about the United States right now? And you can be honest. Like, I really, if you're like, we think you guys are a bunch of assholes that need to, like, calm the F down, that's cool, too, because we're just over here, like, what is going on? I, I Yeah, it's, I mean, obviously, it's a very polarizing um, situation. There are a lot of um, people <laughs> here in the UK who are very supportive of your of your current administration. And a lot of people That's who are crazy to hear. against it. It's and but I think certainly we're in no position to judge. We've got a very right wing government of our own at the moment. And certainly some of the people right at the top of the tree have got some very dodgy contacts within sort of more extremist right wing um, politics. So that's mm. worrying. But also, I think the mess we made over the referendum uh, about leaving the EU 
we're we're not in a position to judge. So yeah, I mean that's so true. That's so yeah, interesting because you know UK and US. Obviously, we all have our own history, and then like I always do feel like there's that bond that still keeps us kind of like. And it's interesting that we're dealing with a lot of the same issues, maybe just in different ways. Like you said, like the housing market, that's similar to our student loan market, you know? So it's just it's like the, it's very similar. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I, and I feel that way too. Like we're not in any way able to judge you, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it, it was particularly interesting. I thought that um, your last presidential election was just, you know, a few months after our, after our referendum so it felt like our not only were our mutual countries kind of both spiraling into this absolute mess but the fact that they both went down at the same time was you know yeah and on one hand it was really dispiriting because i i remember waking up the morning after the referendum and feeling that you know life had got significantly so much worse overnight thanks to this decision and then just a few months later it was like your decision <laughs> and we thought you know surely that can't go wrong as well um and apologies if you know <laughs> i don't no, know it, it's not much. you don't have to worry about it yeah it's but, interesting um, that you say that though because that night i was like there's no way he'll win and then the, it was like the same thing i woke up and i'm like wow our lives changed i f- had that feeling in my stomach absolutely and um yeah and things like that can be a knock on on your mental health i mean it, it's i undoubtedly feel more um insecure more threatened generally um by sort of the state of the world at the moment it, it's very disheartening particularly when you see how combative and you know full of hate some people are it's uh yeah, it has had a negative effect on my mental health, although I've tried not to, not to let it. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, all these things that we say sort of, you know, talking aside from the mental health issue, of course, the mental health issue is fed by everything that's going on in our lives. And that's the things internally with ourselves, with our relationships, but also in the wider world, all these things kind of feed into each other. So, um yeah, it's it's been an interesting few years for sure. <laughs> I think it I think it has to be interesting. Like you said, uh, there had to be a moment where you came and you realized your privilege as a white middle class male, right? So, but there's a certain there's certain ego work that comes with you uh, reading about like feminism or racism. Like there's because I have it. Like I have it with racism. Like I'm reading a lot of books about that now and. The system is definitely systemic racism is very real in the United States. And um, it's hard to read that because it, it does you kind of have to like question some of your like own beliefs or like, you know, like to have that moment where you're like, oh, wow, like my whole life, I thought my problems were this big and they're still big. But like there's also these big problems over here. So like, can, like, did you have kind of a moment where you had to like? Um, I. <sighs> I mean, this sounds arrogant to say, but I'm not necessarily. It, yeah, it's not about realizing the realizing my privilege or having a moment of realizing it. It's realizing the extent of it. That's you know, it's. I mean, I've you know always been aware that I'm in a very lucky and privileged position. Yeah. But actually, finding out it, it's a very abstract notion. So you think, okay, yeah, I'm privileged. That's you know, I'm fortunate, and I should try and you know behave better towards people who are less fortunate. But you have to really start looking at things before you even realize what less fortunate means. And I think the prime example with this is is something like the Me Too movement, where we all knew that that kind of sexual har- harassment and sexual predation was going on. But it wasn't until that moment that you necessarily realized how much of it there was. And this notion that it, it's not just that some women get harassed in the workplace, but actually the chances are a statistically high number of women that you know are getting harassed in the workplace by men that you know. And that, I mean, that was a wake-up call. That was a real kind of, okay, this is, this is not something that went on in the 70s. This is not something that happens in extreme examples. This is women's experience now and an experience for so many of them. And one of the issues that when you... I like to think that I've, you know, I don't actively contribute to that, but I have to think it's not enough for me not to 
contribute to that. I actually have to be part of the answer, not just excuse myself that I'm, you know, that I'm not doing things like that. I have to, you know, that's not enough to just be innocent, for want of a better word, but I actually have to, you know, I should be active in in trying to make the world a better place, which is, and that's the difficult part because I, you know, I don't know, I don't even know where to start, but I think sort of the two things that I can do is I can educate myself and I can and I can talk about things. And so that's, um, yeah, this is, you know, why I'm here today, why I'm talking to you today and, and sort of why I'm doing this reading because I think if nothing else, I'm at least, you know, I'm making some noise that somebody somewhere is going to hear and either feel encouraged by or or make them think about something. And maybe that is all I can do at the moment. But um, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's certainly an interesting phenomenon to be sort of at the top of that pile and looking down on people who are less fortunate than, than you because of their race or because of their uh, of their gender and think what well, you know. I may not have created this situation, but I've certainly benefited from it. So what is my role now? What do I do to um, to try and make this better? Yeah, I, I, everything you just said is just, it's incredibly relevant. Um, the Me Too movement, obviously, like as a female, and I've dealt with sexual harassment and assault and rape and all of it, um, which I'm open about and it's fine, but I mean, it's not fine, but it's fine for me to talk about. Um, it's interesting it's really great to hear what you're saying and uh it's it's like it's so interesting because i think there is like an aspect of like like for us it's college campuses for us are like a huge like issue and it's what you said like it's always been so hushed under the like pushed under the rug like kept a secret somehow and i i think for me like me too i the internet is such like a good and bad place but i think one of the good things about it is like think about the fact that like a woman on this side of the earth could like talk to another woman over there who had the interaction with the same male that did something to them you know and that's how we start coming like uncovering these things yeah Yeah. Yeah, and so it's such a crazy thing um but what i uh think is interesting is the fact that there will be like you said you don't you never kind of think that it's in your friend group like you never think it's like your colleague that's doing it because it's just so easy to read about something in the news and be like okay that happened over here it's not happening over here you know i to speak to the workplace like i had an experience at work where uh somebody touched me that i was not comfortable with and it was like a repeated thing so i went to management and it was interesting it was just so interesting to me because uh it was an older generation female and she was just like well you know that stuff used to happen to us all the time and we just kind of let it go and i was like okay well here exactly i'm like well we're not doing that anymore so sorry um but i think that might be the problem um and so it is interesting how these things are changing especially generationally uh but i see a lot of hope there that people kind of are opening up their eyes and i think it's it's hard because there's also a lot of um like if we're talking stereotypically, it's like male to female, like sexual assault, right? Um, it's hard to, because there's so many males that aren't like that, and I feel like then they feel a certain guilt, like to like they're like, uh, like so many times I'll share my experience with people, will be like, I'm so sorry, and I'll be like, is that your job to say sorry? It's but so I'm glad that you're like, no, it's it's just that we have to change the conversation, like we have to start seeing what we can do, like make some noise about it. So it's difficult to talk about it, like it it brings my anxiety up to talk about it with you, but I think the conversations are so important. So. Absolutely. And I, and I think as well, with you see a lot of kind of fight back from either from men who don't see what the fuss is or from men who feel that they're being targeted for something that they're not doing and, and feeling very defensive about that. Yes, yes. I was reading um, an article um, just before uh, just before you called about, um, and this was from the 70s, um, about the women's lib movement first starting off. And this person was... Uh, saying in this column that they didn't, um, they hoped that the movement didn't get uh, stopped by niceness and politeness and British manners, 
because she said there is, um, you know, no great change ever came about from people nicely protesting about it and just, you know, walking down the middle of the street, smiling at people with their banners. And there's, you know, great change takes a lot of hostility. So I think on the one hand, while it is awful that we see when we see sort of people speaking up about these things, the kind of disgusting responses that they're getting from certain sections. Uh, I think nevertheless, it's, it's a sign that you're right, that there is, there is change coming. And the very fact that certain people are getting so incredibly defensive is a sign that they know it's changing too. So, I mean, it's you'd rather achieve change without this kind of conflict, but I certainly think that it's... Yeah, it is a sign that we're we're moving in the right direction, at least. Yeah. And this is why, you know, this is why it's my job as a white middle class male to to make it clear where I stand on these things. So it doesn't become a thing of women against men or a blacks against yeah. whites. It's about a huge range of, you know, a huge proportion, a huge majority of society saying to this minority who are still intent on discriminating that, no, this is no longer acceptable and we're not going to take this anymore. But we, we people like me who don't suffer the brunt of that discrimination need to be saying that as well or else it, it just becomes a them and us thing that never gets resolved. You're so right. And um, I think one of the things that was, the episode before this, I... I spoke with a woman who said um, she's black and she was saying that, you know, certain white people aren't going to listen to me. So if you don't say it as a white person to them, they're not going to ever get the message because they're not listening to me. And like, that was so important. Like I get chills just thinking about it now because I just never thought of that, you know, like, and it's, it's realistic. It's reality. So yeah, I think that speaks to the job that we kind of all have moving forward. Um, but it is a difficult balance because you then get, uh, you know, there's because uh, for for the black community as well as for, for women, there's no, you know, it's not like all women feel the same about how these things have to be achieved. Neither do all black people feel the same about how it has to be achieved. Yes. So sometimes you're an ally. Sometimes you're getting in the way by putting yourself front and center when it's actually yes. Yes. It, yeah. It's really difficult to to know what you're supposed to be doing, but I <laughs> yeah. I kind of think I'd rather err on the side of uh, of trying to do something than you know being too passive and and letting other people fight those fights. So, but yeah, I mean that it comes back to listening again, doesn't it? Though it's 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 about yeah. you know saying what you want to say, but when somebody who has a more direct experience of that discrimination, whatever it is steps in and say actually no that's not helpful or actually no that's not your position to be saying that or doing that at this time then then it becomes our job to say yep you're absolutely right you know yeah yeah it's like, it's kind of like going back to that interaction with your wife where it's like then you think critically like okay like i then you started to go back i don't know do you know what i mean like you yeah, start to it <laughs> because it, it, it's about it's about again accepting the fact that sometimes you're going to be wrong yeah. Even when you are, you know, we're talking about something where you very much believe or very much are in the right about a certain issue, you're you're still sensitive, still sensitive to the idea that you're not always going to be right in the manner in which you go about it. And as long as you remember that, you're then able to have that conversation with the other people who are also who you're standing next to to um to make sure that you're not stepping on their toes or stepping in front of them but you're doing the most helpful thing you can be doing at any given moment and yeah definitely i love it um the one thing that you said about uh speaking to change coming um I find that more people now seem to have this like overwhelming sense like they have to speak about things that they didn't you know, I don't know. It's like people are describing me. They're like, I feel like I'm bubbling over like things that I don't normally like speak up or fight for. Like all of a sudden I'm like, I can't stay quiet about this anymore. Like the breaking point has come. So do you kind of find that too? Like, I feel like that's where the change is kind of happening. Yeah. And I think a lot of that probably comes down to the ability to um, say things. So I think this is where social media, this is one of the positive aspects of social media is the fact that we are, we are in a position to, to get our voices heard a long way. I mean, as you say, you know, 
you over there in America, you saw my post, you got in touch and, and that's, that's amazing. And it's, it's, but it's one of the things that makes us feel like we have to say something because we now for the first time in human history have the tools to say that in a much, uh, you know, to broadcast that much further. Um, so yeah, I, th I think definitely there is, we are a generation, you know, and you see the older generation sometimes complaining about this and, you know, calling us woke or whatever but you know 30 40 years ago if i'd wanted to talk about mental health um it would have been very difficult generationally anyway but also who would i have talked to it about my family and my work colleagues and that would probably have been it whereas now i can talk about it and i can you know my blogs can be seen by people in india or spain or china or, well maybe not china but uh <laughs> and the us and you know so i can Either the things that are important to me, I can talk about them in a way that gets them heard over a much further distance. And I think that's why we're now feeling more responsible to actually be saying the things that need saying, because we know we haven't got the excuse anymore of not being heard. I think that's the thing. We don't have that excuse of not being heard. We've got to. And if, if we're going to benefit from all the, you know, the fantastic fun things about social media, then we also have to accept our responsibility to put forward the things that we need to put forward. That's awesome. Uh, you are wise, my friend. <laughs> and you are. Uh, awesome. This has been a great conversation. I think I don't even think I have any questions. Do you have any questions for me or things that you wanted to bring up that we didn't talk about? Um, yeah, uh, this is one of the things that um, I always, whenever I'm talking about mental health, do just want to stress. Um, and again, this might be for the benefit of anyone who's listening, who's who's not, you know, so far along their journey of dealing with their mental health issues. One of my biggest bugbears um, when it comes to mental health is the idea that you can define what the experience of a mental health problem is. And I always think back, there was there was an article I read years ago that um, was talking about depression and it gave um, a list of, of things that, uh, ways in which depression can manifest itself. Um, and there were things like not being able to look in a mirror. There were things like sleeping patterns being disrupted. But the language used in the article very much um, was saying that this is what depression looks like. That if you have this, 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 and this, then you are depressed and you should go and see a doctor. And that worried me a lot because I read that and I, I was already receiving help at the time. I hadn't started, um, hadn't gone to a doctor until I was 28 um, because I, because my depression is um, largely a chemical imbalance rather than a result of things that have happened to me. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a difficult childhood. Uh, you know, I didn't have any great traumatic event that had happened and therefore I always felt like I wasn't wor worthy of help. That I, you know, I sh shouldn't go oh, to. Oh wow! Oh wow! And um, and it was only when I started seeing how much it was impacting the people around me that I went to the doctor when I was about twenty-eight, um, and he prescribed Prozac for me. But I had done that for the people around me, not for myself. And I think if I'd at that point, if I'd have read one of these articles that said this is what depression looks like, I would have taken one look at that list and thought. I don't have any problem sleeping. I've, I've depression has never affected my sleep patterns. So I would have read that and I would have instinctively gone, oh, well, in that case, it can't be depression because I haven't got the thing that this article tells me it should be having. Mm -hmm. yeah. so, so one of the things that I always stress now, whenever I'm talking about this, is that everybody's experience of mental health conditions is different. So while it's useful for me to talk about what I've been through, um, and what I am still going through, I I would always stress that just because you are not experiencing the same thing as me or you are not experiencing it in the same way as I am doesn't mean that you haven't got an issue that needs dealing with because it's so... The, the insidious thing about mental health issues is they're so bound up with who you are as an individual that they can't help but be unique. And therefore, actually, anything that tells you depression is going to look like this or anxiety is going to give you this symptom it might not in your case you might never have any problem sleeping but that doesn't mean just because you're not checking everything off this particular list that you don't need help so my experience is only useful to others 
in sort of general terms uh, and in a sort of general shape of, of how these things manifest themselves. But it, it's not to say that this is what depression looks like or this is what anxiety looks like, because it will look entirely different for every single person who experiences them. And I, I don't see enough people when talking about mental health issues acknowledging that very simple fact because i never have i'll tell you that much <laughs> and and one, and one of the uh, the other difficult things is because it's you know low self-esteem can be quite common the instinct therefore as can be like it was for me to not reach out until far too late because you don't think you deserve the help because the mental health issue you've got is knocking on your self-esteem and telling you that you know you're not worth it you're just wasting people's time so i yeah that's that's something i always like to bring up at some point if i'm if i am talking mental health is i think that experience i love that and i think it also speaks to the fact that you said like you didn't get help until age 28 because you felt like you didn't maybe have like the prerequisites of needing help like you had a pretty normal childhood and um, I know for the U.S., I'm not sure other places, but the highest suicide rate in the U.S. is um, white males, middle class to upper class. Yeah, like 34 to 40. Yeah. And there's something I don't know in that age range, middle age. And and I wonder how many of them do think like, well, my life has been pretty good. So, like, why would I bother somebody with like my problems that aren't as big as this that or the other thing um and i think that also speaks to it is just that everybody's life is different like everybody has struggles like whether your struggle looks like sadly oppression like or if it looks like feeling depressed for reasons you don't understand it doesn't matter it's still something that's affecting you um and every it, it just looks different for everybody and i think that also speaks to the mental health aspect in itself that it's going to look different for everybody absolutely and, and coming back to what we were saying about you know the whole me too movement and the uh and what have you. I mean, as you rightly say, there's this idea that as a white middle class male, I could very easily fall into the trap of thinking, you know, I've got nothing to complain about. Therefore, I shouldn't, you know, I, I shouldn't be um, approaching people like this uh, about this because, you know, what have I got to complain about? But that's um, and I mean, getting men to the doctors in any event is always more difficult because, you know, men don't like to admit weakness or, or whatever it is. So it's it's yeah, I mean, it's suicide for the under four, male under 40s is, is a big problem over here as well. And and I think at least part of that is an unwillingness to talk, um, um, you know, an unwillingness to talk about emotions, uh, an unwillingness to admit weakness, but also possibly because of a, a perceived notion that, you know, you've somehow failed as a man if, if you're not taking advantage of all the benefits that you should be should be having. And and to be vulnerable, I mean, I think a lot of I think it's hard for males to be vulnerable. Um, I think there's change there, and I see like really positive change, and I'm loving it. Like, uh, but I think for a while it was like the madman kind of like mentality of just you yeah. don't talk about your problems, you go to work, you deal with it. Like you have low key alcoholism to kind of take the edge off. You know, it, it has been that way in a while, but. I do have a lot of hope because I am seeing the theme change. Like I'm seeing, you know, I have a lot of male friends that I'm able to speak with this stuff about and that's cool. You know, it's awesome. Yeah. And I certainly see any in, you know, the younger generation, because now there is a whole new adult generation coming up, you know, below me. And as much as I talk about my emotional, you know, experience more than my parents ever did, I'm already seeing, you know, an even more improved, you know, honesty and openness uh, amongst, you know, people in their 20s. So I think, yeah, definitely this, uh, we have, you know, my generation definitely feels like it's been at a cusp of, of being able to open up. And I'm, you know, already seeing the the fruits of that in sort of the younger generation coming through it's now. It's so cool. I love it. I'm like obsessed with Gen Z in like such a terrible way. Like not a terrible way, but I don't know. I'm like obsessed with them. And my idea is like, so you'll be, you're what, Gen X? Yeah, yeah, I guess. So yeah. that's when I really do feel like some of these wake ups started to happen. Like, and, and you guys get forgotten about. Like your generation is just, I really do believe you guys are just silently, but it's, it's like you're you you're, you're silent, but you're coming out, and like you have a key in things. You're definitely not like 
forgotten as you feel. I don't know. And then you have like the millennials that came and like they just all hate us because we're just like, fuck this, fuck this. Nope, we're not doing that. And we destroy things. And I've had people say to me, listen, like you guys destroy things, but you have no solution to what you're destroying. And I was like, who comes with the solution? Gen Z. And they're going to save our asses. And I really do see that openness, that like loving kindness. Like, I don't know. I have hopes for Gen Z. Cool. Yeah. When you look at people like Greta Thunberg and it's, yeah, I mean. Who is that? Uh, the Swedish environmentalist, Greta oh, Thunberg. Oh, I don't. Okay, please tell me. Oh, uh, she's a 16, 17 year old girl, 17, I think now, who's, who's um, gone around the world uh um, kind of preaching on of, of, um, environmental issues and talking to governments and environmental issues, uh, you know, at an age where I was, you know, bunking off school for whatever, and she's, you know, changing the world. And yeah, but that generation has so much more. I mean, they've got more skin in the game. They're they're going to be facing the problems that we've created in a far more real way than we ever than I ever will. Um, it, but, it, yeah. it, seriously well i don't know if you heard about like the trump rally that was like empty because um gen z got on tiktok yeah. and they the, they the all K-pop bought the guys. tickets yeah. Yes. i really was like i i cried like i i really did like i just cried because i was like that is the most genius way and it was not violent it was yep. not wrong it was not illegal it was like I don't know. I get chills talking about it. And that's like the spirit that I do see. I mean, even in Hong Kong, you see that too. Like you have them protesting uh, up against like huge things. And I don't know. I really feel that way too. So it's kind of cool to see how these patterns are like throughout the world though. Talking to you, it it really makes me feel like I'm like, things aren't so different everywhere else, you know? Absolutely. And again, this, you know, this is, this is um, something that our parents' generation would have known nothing about because, but we are so much more in touch with each other. And there's, you know, people say that, you know, the world becoming more homogenous and less individualized and sort of losing national characters as nations come closer together. You know, there are potentially downsides to that, but overall it can only be a good thing because it it teaches us that, you know, that guy, the other side of the world in China, he's, he's just like you. He's, you know, he has the same hopes, dreams, aspirations, fears and worries that you do. And he's every bit the human being that you are. And, you know, you have no no choice but to, to approach that with love because you realize that people are just, you know, people are just people wherever they are. Yes. Well, I love that. Oh, thank you so much for taking the time with me today. Do you have no, anything cool. else you'd like to add, James? Uh, no, I, I'm... No, I think I'm good. Thank you. But okay. uh, yeah, just to say thank you for, for inviting me. This has been great. And it's, you know, it's it's wonderful to feel that I've, you know, done something that somebody else has, you know, taken notice of. That's been really good. It is cool. And, uh, you know, it, it takes both of us because I had to ask and you had to say yes. So I definitely appreciate that. And I'll keep in touch with you on Instagram. I might ask you like a few cultural like um, UK questions that I didn't want to like fangirl on the thing. Uh, but thank you so much and i hope you have a wonderful day you too monica all right bye-bye bye-bye okay can we just take a second to think about the fact that people in the uk have that great of an accent and how sad it is because to them they might just not even know how great their accent really is so i don't know editing that the thing I was like, wow, UK accent, how lucky are we? Uh, but I think we're, we're lucky in a lot of ways because James spoke to things that I struggle with. Uh, I think that they're with the patriarchal systems that we have been raised in. We sometimes have problems relating to each other, uh, females and males and we don't, there's some conversations that are difficult to have, and it was really inspiring for me to hear from him and hear his perspective, how he's helped, how he has handled his own journey, how he tries to relate to others in new ways, his openness. It was a really great conversation, so I really do thank you, James. I thank everybody for hanging in there. I know some of the audio is 
a little bit choppy. I really can only attribute that to this being a global call uh, this time. It wasn't an audio equipment type thing. It just, I think that's what happens when you're talking to someone on the other side of the world. So thank you for everybody who has tuned in. I hope you enjoyed the show. Um, I guess I don't really have any suggestions for you other than maybe to think about the males in your life and how they handle their emotional health and how all of us, uh, females and male, can do a little bit of a better job of helping people feel a little bit less hopeless. So I know this conversation was a great start for me and I really appreciated it. If you guys are interested in making any donations to this show, uh, please feel free to reach out to me at howwegetby.podcast at gmail.com. Or if you are interested in being interviewed for the show or know somebody who might be, uh, please feel free to send their name my way. I would appreciate that. And... You can follow the show on Instagram at howwegetby underscore and also reach out to me in that way as well. The single best thing you can do for the show, though, is to share it uh, either by word of mouth or social media um, just to get these messages out to people who may need them is my goal. And I can do that with your help. I really appreciate everybody who has supported the show so far. It has been an amazing journey. I look forward to so many more episodes. The music that you hear in the beginning and the end of this and every episode is by Joe Burke. You can find his music on Spotify, Apple iTunes, all major streaming platforms, or if you're local to the Scranton area, you can uh, look to a, uh, a local record store and check out some of his music that way. That is all I have for you. I hope you have a wonderful week.